it was just nice to be back. I wasn't expecting to love it at all. I was like, well, this will just be a thing. Like I'm going back to it out of necessity because I know how to do it. I know how to be a waiter. It was like not, it was like coming up for air, you know, like felt like I'd been holding my breath for a year. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As consumers, we often focus on food a restaurant serves, the talent of a chef, the way they celebrate the seasons, their ability to find balance and harmony. But food is only one part of the equation when it comes to restaurants. The art of great service is as important as the food in hospitality venues. But what does it take to deliver those magical experiences? Nikki Friedley is an award-winning front-of-house professional and currently working at Templo in Hobart, Tasmania. Nikki, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you going? Good. You've found yourself uh, in Tasmania during a pandemic. What, what, <laughs> what, what lured you to the Apple Isle? Uh, well, um, uh, December 2019, I uh, sold off my portion of Africola back to my business partners. Um, and decided it was time to uh, start another adventure. Um, and I didn't really know what that was going to be at the time. Uh, but like, I suppose three weeks later, I was sitting on a beach having an existential crisis about what I was going to <laughs> do with my life and my career because uh, Africola really had been all consuming at like a very formative period of my life, um, you know, sort of between. 23 and 28, 29, um, which, you know, I, for me, it was, it was a big deal. Um, and it took up everything that I was really, um, there was a, a really no distinction between myself and the four walls that I existed in there in. Um, so I was sort of looking for something else to do and bizarrely, um, Mona was advertising on seek for <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> wasn't expecting to see that there. Um, I like originally when I, uh, I clocked the job, I, uh, called Pip Anderson, uh, who's the head of hospitality there. Um, and I asked her if it was like a art installation or like a joke listing. I just, <laughs> I just assumed that Mona would never have to advertise. Um, but I, uh, yeah, there was a, a job going for their functions and events manager. Um, and I just thought that I would throw my hat in the ring and do that. And the job came through. So I uh, went to get on a plane and disappear down to Tassie. But uh, two days before I was meant to fly, COVID hit properly. And I wound up stranded in Adelaide for uh, until the gallery reopened, really. Um, so there's a little bit of a delay, but I feel like compared to what a lot of people have gone through lately, um, I've been pretty fortunate. That's really the greatest impact it's had for me. What was it like having your life sort of halted like that and and then filling in that, that period of time, that gap, given, you know, that COVID sort of shut borders and things like that? Uh, do you know what? For me, it was actually a lifesaver, quite literally. Um, well, by the time I was finished at Africola, my mental and physical health was absolute cactus. Um I would say I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life, I think. Um, it's just so 
I mean, you've, it's a, it's a beast of a place. Um, and I think when, when you're young, especially, um, it's difficult to set boundaries around yourself and to not completely lose who you are to a venue, especially when a place um, is so your home. Uh, and I really grew up there. Um, it was a first for so many things for me um, that I just completely ignored um, any and all warning signs from my body and my brain that I should slow down um, because, you know, there's always that thing in the background in hospitality that I think is quite toxic, although I think it is definitely shifting away that, like, you know, if you're not working hours, 80 hours a week, you're not doing it right. Um, and really, I mean, by the time I stopped really doing that at Afrocola, it was already too late. I'd done the damage to myself. Um, so to be honest, I think that COVID forced me to stop um, and forced me to address my mental health, my my physical health, uh, my overall well-being to address what I wanted in my life or what my priorities were um, and to reassess from there. So really it was just a year of massive growth for me um, and I feel really fortunate that that was the case. Um, I mean, in terms of work, I just kind of was a little bit of a gun for hire around Adelaide for a little while. I've flapped about it at Lee Street Wine Room for a bit. Um, they lovingly took me in, <laughs> adopted me as a stray. Um, so I was just casual there, slinging drinks and having fun and enjoying not being the person that people called when things went wrong. <laughs> it was finally not my section chef. So <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a good feeling. That time that COVID gave you to reflect and and work on yourself, how much how much has that opportunity and that self-reflection changed you? Uh, <laughs> I feel almost unrecognisable from the person that I was in 2019. Um, it's, sorry, that's a long pause. I'm just thinking. Um, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've had pretty significant issues around um, anxiety and around trauma. Uh, and the funny thing about trauma and the way it manifests is that actually it sets you up to be really great at service. Um, and so for a long time, uh, things that I almost took for, you know, borderline being feeling like a superpower in service were actually signs that um, I was struggling with significant mental mental health issues, really. Um, so, you know, like it's common when you have trauma uh, that uh, you develop this really unique ability to have almost like hyper awareness of your situation and of the people around you. And so as a defense mechanism, to stop you from being hurt again, um, you basically learn how to break down and assess people really fast. Um, and then you kind of adapt and mold who you are and what you are uh, to suit the person who's standing in front of you, um, which when you're doing it right, and I think if you're doing it in a healthy way is like, can be a really beautiful thing to gift somebody like, uh, 
as a waiter, I often sort of think of my job as uh, kind of like you're kind of like this little floating human panacea in a way. Like you hold a mirror inside of you when you're talking to people and you have this really lovely, unique opportunity to reflect the best of what they are back to them in an interaction with you, um, which can be a really beautiful thing. Um, and I love it and I love that. And I always have and it's what's always drawn me back to being a waiter. Um, but if it comes from a place where there is an undercurrent of kind of like needing the high to survive and needing people to be able to like you and love you immediately and base your value, your value as a person on those interactions is where it gets dangerous. And when you have residual trauma issues, your self-worth often sent, well, at least for me, I mean, I can't speak broadly for everybody, um, but I found that, you know, I was taking those interactions to be the, the foundation of my worth. Um, and so if I ever caught myself underperforming or not achieving or not delivering or just being less than, um, I definitely didn't take it very well. So <laughs> it's been long and difficult, um, especially when, you know, being a waiter and interacting with people in such a simple but intimate way um, was taken away from me in a sense um, by COVID initially um, and then, I'm sorry, by uh, just my failing mental health initially and then by COVID sort of secondary to that. Um, it gave me time to reset, I suppose. How did, how did you find space to reset? What were the things that you allowed yourself to, um, to find yourself again? Um, funnily enough, it was a lot of doing nothing. It really was. Um, and it was sitting in the sun in my garden or sleeping for 16 hours in a day or drinking coffee um, or reading a book that I loved. Um, I wish that there were, or it was, you know, really intense things like standing in the shower and crying for three hours or letting my body um, experience dysregulation so you know like nervous system dysregulation is like a big part of having like dealing with trauma really like my nervous system's a bit weird and like um when I have an anxiety attack like I'll shake or I'll experience it really viscerally um and you know like my brain shuts down I just can't function and so like letting my body and it, it won't I won't necessarily even be in a situation that is triggering I could have just been at home washing the dishes and all of a sudden that wave hits me and just being able to be in the position where I can ride it out in a way that is safe and I'm not having to go back out onto the floor and repress it and pretend that everything is fine um which I did a lot of you know <laughs> like um, it's really funny, you know, like, uh, hearing award-winning before my name, <laughs> because at the time that, you know, I won <laughs> the Good Food Guide Award, I think it might've been one of the most isolating and difficult times of my life. You know, I remember 
being in service and I would go out into the alleyway at the back of Africola and between, you know, serving people and having this face and like loving my job and really enjoying it still, I would be just crashed upon with like wave after wave after wave of anxiety and I would be vomiting into a storm drain and shaking uncontrollably and stressed and I would just walk back into a restaurant like nothing else was going on. And so I started to create this almost like Jekyll and Hyde kind of monster out of myself, Um, just out of necessity, really. Um, So honestly, just like reuniting those two separate, those two parts of myself that I had tried to keep apart away from each other for such a long time was a lot of what I was doing when I was outwardly sort of doing nothing during that sort of no man's land of the COVID period, um, which was quite intense. This is not uncommon to the hospitality sector. Um, Strenuous hours, long hours, throwing yourself and committing yourself to something you believe in, um, whether it's the the restaurant or the food. Um, Do you think people are seeing things differently out of COVID um, and, and taking taking a, rain, a check on their careers and how they approach the amount of hours they do and things? Oh, I think hugely. I think that um, COVID, from a business perspective, from hospitality, um, has been devastating um, and ultimately very draining, really difficult for people, but I've had several conversations with people where, you know, there's also a sentiment there of like, oh, this is what it feels like to have time for myself. This is what it feels like to take care of myself properly. I feel like a different person when I sleep at night. I'm not constantly on the brink of collapse, you know, like just all these things where, you know, I've heard so many people say like, I'm never going back to that 70 hour a week with no paid overtime life you know, people realizing that it's not worth it. And for so long, um, I feel like for our industry, we just, I don't know what it is in us. And I feel like it's something that you, I don't know if it's like, uh, I don't know what comes first, whether you have it in you already. And so therefore you can cope with hospitality and you stay in it, that like need to drive and push and always be at the forefront or whether, it puts it in you. I don't know which way it goes, Um, but it feels distinctly to me like people are starting to say no to doing those things or negotiating harder for their rights. And, you know, like I feel like hospitality really, if we have a union, I definitely don't know about it Um, or I don't know what it's doing or if it ever has done anything. Um, And I think that COVID in particular really showed just how, ill-equipped we are to make sure that we're actually taking care of ourselves as an industry and also as individuals by having real boundaries laid out and real parameters and real guidelines for people to fall back on on a proper support network. Um, And that's sort of in everything from issues around uh, what casual pay rates look like to working unpaid overtime to the expectations of an 80 hour week and leave, you know, um, how we interact with all of those things. 
I think was really highlighted by COVID um, has given people time to take stock uh, because who wants to go back to living that way? When you realised you needed to make some changes to take care of yourself, how hard was it taking the first steps? Oh, <laughs> uh, pretty brutal. Um, but I think it was, I just didn't have a choice at that point, really. The burnout was so severe and so real. Um, uh, I mean, the first step of doing nothing was one of the hardest things I've ever done because uh, I don't like to be idle. I don't enjoy it. Um, I definitely equated busyness with worth, um, which I think is something that we tend to do a lot in our industry. Um, and in particular, I think when you're front of house, because like, you know, ultimately like the product that I provide is invisible. Um, that's why there's no, there's no, there's no fucking waiter's table is there. Like, <laughs> cause there's be a lot of classical music and sad, tired people eating dinner next to a fucking bin sitting on a milk crate. Like, <laughs> oh, the glamour. Um, <laughs> It's definitely not as, it's not as, you know, sexy as a Francis Melman fire pit. That's for sure. Um, so like, how do you quantify, uh, how do you quantify an emotional experience? How do you quantify someone coming in who's had the worst day of their life perhaps, and you have a two and a half, three hours with this person and you sort of, you know, you do that thing that in first aid they never tell you to do, which is where, like, if you get bitten by a snake, don't suck the poison out. Like, waiters <laughs> volunteer to just, like, walk up to people and put their mouth on the wound and just, like, suck the poison out. That's what we do. Um, which, you know, visually is a weird thing to put on a show. <laughs> I'm sure it's an OnlyFans somewhere. But, like, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's what we do and it's a hard thing to explain or to impart to people. And it's, it's like a, um, it's funny. Like I feel like when you're getting good service, you don't know it and you don't notice it because that's the hallmark. You know what I mean? Or when it's not there, it's distinctly not there. And it's like, why didn't I enjoy that as much as I should have? Like, you know, the food was good and it was nice, but ultimately like I feel a bit weird and a bit, empty and I don't, there was not that love. Um, but there's just no way to put it in a jar and give it to somebody. So, sorry, I think I've rambled. I've <laughs> gone off topic <laughs> as I want to do. You, you um, spoke about when you won that award um, for service with a, with a good food guide, a national award. Um, and at that time, uh, you were struggling with your own mental health, but you you are renowned as one of the best front of house professionals in, in the country. What, what is it that lured you to uh, hospitality? Um, I, it's hmm, a good question. Ultimately, hospitality is really well geared for how my brain likes to work. 
um, generally, like just the structure of my brain, I think fits really well inside what hospitality demands of us front of house wise. So like on the fly, problem solving, constant stimulus, um, a lack of like, it's really like you never step into the same river twice. You're dealing with the greatest irrational factor on the planet that has no rhyme or reason, which is human behavior. Um, (laughs) We are not rational actors at all. Um, And so it means that things are constantly in a state of flux and there is never not a challenge, even on a calm day. Um, So it was that endless dynamic and knowing that I would never be sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, bored out of my mind. (laughs) Uh, That really lured me in. And ultimately, like, I know it's, like, very cool to hate people, (laughs) hate other people, you know, like, oh, people. But, like, I ultimately, like, really, I love interacting with other people and I am fundamentally curious about what makes other people tick. And... I want to know everything about them all the time and why they do the things that they do and how they do them. And uh, I have this like really broad set of interests. Like I am, when I tried to go to university on multiple occasions, um, (laughs) I, uh, I inevitably sort of found myself doing a lot of politics and history subjects. Um, And I really enjoy politics uh, again, because it's one of those things where it's ultimately just, it's about people. Um, but hospitality has like this perfect intersection to me of politics and an overlap of things to me that are vitally important. Um, you know, which is people need to be fed and they need to be watered. And it's been the backbone of what society is and how we all function together. Um, And it's political because it, I mean, food encompasses everything from cultural differences to things like food scarcity to class systems to, you know, it's all there in what we have on the plate. And there's this really unique opportunity where you can be anybody and go to any restaurant, obviously there's, you know, issues around money being a barrier and et cetera. But I mean, as a, as a general, especially with Afrocola, I'd say I've got a pretty broad spectrum of people. Um, and I kind of love the fact that I could have someone super conservative, you know, has opinions that are drastically different to mine. And because in the space of an evening, they've relaxed Um, they're having a nice time. They're having a good experience. They're feeling positive and therefore kind of cracked open a little bit. There's this unique opportunity for, you know, to be able to sort of subversively influence how they think. Um, you know, maybe they walked in (sighs) feeling like, oh, I don't know, pick a, pick a topic. I think like, okay. So once, uh, I had a guy, like an older, an older gentleman come in uh, who was really just on this, I don't know, even know how we got onto the topic, 
uh, or why we were talking about it, considering I was a waiter at the table. Um, but it, for whatever reason, somehow, um, like, a, a abortion came up. For, I think there was, like, legislation going around. I was at the table when these two old white guys uh, were talking about it. Um, and just, you know, what their concept of choice and their biases around what women going through this process happened to be. Um, and because I happened to be holding the wine and a nice woman who was around and serving them things, they came in with that quite a conservative, narrow-minded opinion and had a little bit of discourse with me because unfortunately I can't help myself. And <laughs> it was my restaurant, so I could say what I wanted. <laughs> was, you know, pouring them wine and I was like, well, actually, like, you're just wrong. You're just wrong. All these things that you think are just fundamentally wrong. And in a situation where normally it would have been like, I think quite a confrontational conversation to have, being full of chicken and wine <laughs> sort of took the sting out of it. And I wound up having a 20-minute conversation about pro-choice and the importance of funding for, you know, um, for clinics. And it wound up being really positive. And when one of them was leaving, he was like, oh, um, you know, thank you for having that conversation with us. Like I've been given a lot to think about, all these things I'd never considered in my life. You know, like it's there's not many places you get to kind of have those opportunities um, in a meaningful way and in a safe way, uh, which is quite nice. Um, so really I think it's like I like hospitality because I get to be subversively bossy and <laughs> <laughs> push my agenda on everybody. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just important. It's just an important thing to have and I like that food and drink are a universal language. You know, that makes me feel settled and grounded. Um, yeah, I just, I do it because I can't imagine doing anything else. You were one of the key reasons for Africola's success. And I know that you really threw yourself into uh, that restaurant and it took its toll on you. But what were some of the positives to come out of those formative years um, for you that built, built your career? Oh, so many things. Um, I mean, Africola was great because it let me explore things and do things my way. Um, you know, it definitely had that attitude of like, we do what we want, how we want it, when we want it. Um, Cause I don't know if, you know, anyone else in the world has ever tried to tell uh, my former business partner and the chef of Africola, Duncan Falkemode, what to do, but <laughs> it doesn't really, doesn't really happen. So, you know, like I, I was really gifted <laughs> this like unique opportunity to write my own set of rules um, because I was, I was really like such a baby when I walked in there, like, to be, like when I took Africola, like I had no fucking idea what the good food guide really was. Like I was as good. <laughs> and then like, you know, two years later, um, there I am um, somehow standing on a stage shortly after Ben Shuri's been up there. Like what? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like uh, it let me 
it let me make mistakes as well. Um, sometimes significant, sometimes insignificant, but it was a place to experiment and to be bold and take risks and learn to stand in and what I am and not be ashamed of that or not second guess it and understand that like you just have to make a decision sometimes and whether or not it's the right call, you know, you need to stand by that decision and accept it. Uh, that if you really want to move heaven and earth, you can do it. Um, and that no one can tell you otherwise. And it's an important thing to have behind you. Like, I don't know, would I ever go back and simultaneously do multiple festivals during a year while also running a restaurant? Like, no, probably not. <laughs> but it was important to learn and important to do. And it was just such a, you know, the community that came with that and, you know, all the people I got to meet and getting to do sort of things that other people dream about doing, I suppose, you know, like how lucky and how beautiful and how privileged is that? Um, yeah. From your perspective, what, what makes a great service team and a great service experience? You mentioned about if you don't notice the service, then it's, it's spot on, but how, how do you create that? Yeah. Um, admittedly, <laughs> I think, um, uh, you do, uh, maybe I phrased that wrong the first time. Like, uh, good service shouldn't feel like obtrusive. Like you'll remember it, but it shouldn't feel like it's, uh, uncomfortable or awkward. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, bloody corny to say I'm going to say it anyway because I've accepted that I'm a cheesy human being so <laughs> ultimately what makes it good is love um however that is represented in who you are um you just have to you really have to love it and be in it 110 percent because it's easy to know when you're not you know like the little lies come out in your body language or, you know, that fifth eye roll that you can't conceal anymore. <laughs> or if you just start blatantly doing it at the table, like it's, you know, to me at least, like I don't, it's this unusual combination of finesse and a deep, deep, deep desire to want the best for other people um, because ultimately being a waiter is, isn't a, quite a pure act of service. And I think there's this idea that service means that you're not in control um, at all, or that you're the, at the lower end of the power spectrum, which just to me at least isn't accurate. Um, I think that what we do holds a lot of power and a lot of responsibility and it's being able to take that um, 
take that wonderful opportunity and that beautiful privilege that you have to be able to pass something good onto someone else by letting them rest whatever is heavy on you for a little while. Being able to fuse that with humor and kindness and and energize a bunny level of ability to continue on <laughs> is to me what makes good service. Um, this that innate ability to to read people and know when to crack the joke and when to step back and when to be invisible and when to be present. Um, it's, it's a complete package, you know, it's not necessarily about any one thing. You have to be able to process everything in the room at once, you know, like know if there's, it's about knowing where the weaknesses are, even in your own venue, you know, like if you know that, I don't know, maybe you just, for whatever reason, you don't have the best wine list, um, making sure then that everything else is superb and on point. Um, or, you know, knowing when to lean into the quirks of your own space. Um, it's funny. It's like, it's a difficult thing to be good at because ultimately I think you have to, it forces you to look at the flaws in other people and in yourself or in your venue and then also celebrate the beauty in those things. Um, and really that's what, that for me is what makes good service. What was it like for you after that time that you gave yourself to, um, to heal? Uh, what was it like working in a restaurant again? You're at Templo at the moment and, and having that balance. Is it, is it quite different now? Yeah, drastically different. I, um, I actually thought it's funny. Like I, uh, I decided with Mona that I was going to take that events job because I was like, I don't know if I ever want to work in a restaurant again. Um, maybe that part of my life is over. Uh, I pushed it too far and I did too much damage and, you know, it's irreparable now. Um, and I'm still very much, you know, uh, healing, like, I think it's an ongoing journey for life. Um, and like, I sort of, I just think it's important. I think going, I go to a psychologist every two weeks. Um, and I just, you know, I sort of treat it the same way I treat like flossing. Like it's like a thing that you have to do that maybe you don't really want to, but it's important. And it's just for overall health is really valuable. Um, but uh, being back at Templo has actually been profoundly um, beneficial for me. You know, like I, I don't know if I just wanted to forget how much I loved it, how much I love being on the floor and being a waiter because it is easy to kind of get bogged down in the negatives. Um, but it's a very beautiful place to work. It's very serene. Um, they've really cultivated, um, like quite a good culture and, you know, I mean, compared especially to Africola, which is just a beast, high energy, high octane, go, go, go all the time. You know, Templo seats 20 people at once over two services. Like the difference in pace is <laughs> remarkable. Um, 
So there is all of that extra time to really be able to sink comfortably down into sharing small moments with people who are coming in and being able to celebrate things with them or enjoy the space and enjoy the team that you're working with. And I enjoy the slowness and of it all. (laughs) Um, It's a real sweet, sticky slowness and it's quite nice. Um, And it was just nice to be back. I wasn't expecting to love it at all. I was like, well, this will just be a thing. Like I'm going back to it out of necessity because I know how to do it. I know how to be a waiter. Um, but I, it was like learning. It was like not, it was like coming up for air, you know, like felt like I'd been holding my breath for a year. It was quite nice to step back into it. Really important for me to do it. What is it that you love about that front of house experience and delivering it? Oh, bloody everything. <laughs> um, uh, hmm. I, what I really, I, yeah, I just, I love the peculiar intimacy of it. Um, especially in Australia where I think we tend to be a little bit, you know, she'll be right. Um, we're not immediately emotionally vulnerable really with people that we meet. I feel like there's a, there's a distinct sort of line in the sand. It feels to me for Australian culture anyway, where like, you know, you discuss, you exchange like emotional things like with your close mates and for everybody else, it's like, how are you going? Not bad. Or like, <laughs> you know, um, you never say what you really think or feel. And so being able to engage people softly in a dialogue where they do soften and open up over the course of a night and you find out little things about them um, and they become a fully realized human being in front of you and you get to see the diversity of a population, like, it's pretty amazing. And I don't think many people get to do that in their jobs. Um, and I just think it's special and it's like, it's what drives me to want to do it. Um, and I really just love the idea so much of being able to alleviate the difficulties of life just for a moment. I just think it's so important. You know, people need windows of escapism, especially now. Um, And food and drink and, you know, being in that is the way we've always done it. It's such a, it's such a tradition and it's so much a part of who we are as humans that we just don't even see it for what it is. Um, You know, dinner, sitting down to dinner, like whatever form breaking bread with somebody looks to you, like however, whatever shape that takes, um, it's ultimately achieving the same thing, which is connection and unity and an ability to root in where you are. Um, 
And I feel like for a long time, you know, especially like with like the world, the way it is now, like we can kind of go anywhere, anytime, whenever we want. Um, and I think that that's great from the, in one way, because it means that we get to see and do all of these things that, you know, would not have necessarily been accessible before, but I think it also makes the consequences sometimes of your actions less real because you can just pick up and leave whenever you want and go traveling or go do this or go do that. Whereas if you're stuck somewhere, so say like during COVID now, like you realize that the way that you live your life is significant. Um, and the things that you choose to do are significant and long-term in a community, they do have a knock-on effect and that community is important and that who you eat with and spend your time with is important. Like, you know, it's not a surprise to me that, you know, during COVID lockdowns that people immediately were like, I don't know. I don't know how many fucking focaccias I saw. (laughs) Like (laughs) goddamn banana breads, but like, (laughs) you know, like it was such a common thing. Like all of a sudden everyone's just like dropping focaccias off to their neighbors and looking actively for ways to continue to literally eat with people and connect with people. And the first option we went back to was like fucking literally bread and sharing that experience. <laughs> like, you know, um, and so it's nice to be able to like <laughs> facilitate that, I guess. <laughs> You're in uh, Hobart now. Um, do you see yourself staying there for some time? Are you enjoying the, the local food scene and the, and the life that you have there? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying it. I've fallen into a good space um, with interesting people. There's lots of fascinating humans kicking around Hobart and loads of really good food. Um, one of my favourite things lately has been the uh, Migrant Resource Centre here. Man, so good. Very delicious. Um I think about it every day. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. I haven't – I mean, I think I'll definitely be here for at least uh, a year because I've, you know, sort of made plans and committed to things at Templo. Um, But other than that, I, for once, am enjoying – I don't have any plans. I don't have any obligations I am free to just do whatever I want um, and go wherever, which I feel like is probably a very, seems like a very useless thing to have during COVID. (laughs) 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 Um, But I love cruel, delicious ironies, so I'm relishing in it. Uh, (laughs) but, um, But it's just, you know, I can, on my day off, I can wake up in the morning and there is, no one's going to call me to tell me that there's something wrong or the glass washer needs replacing or any one of the things I could just wake up and I am, and I can just be, and I can potter in the garden or do whatever it is I feel like. And that's been a freedom that I've never really experienced in my life. Um, I've just always had a lot of responsibility. Um, I'm not sure why I must actively seek it out somehow subversively somewhere. Um, But I feel like Tasmania is a nice place to be away. 
you know, like I definitely, it was a deliberate move to be geographically remote. Um, I wanted time away from everything Um, and doing it at the most Southern point I could short of becoming a penguin and just moving to Antarctica, (laughs) which I really did think about. (laughs) Uh, Because I do love oily fish and to swim. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm sort of enjoying this like slow, luxurious life where I get to basically be a very high functioning house cat. (laughs) Who goes to work sometimes. Um, So I don't know. I don't, I really, I don't don't have plans. Um, And I've COVID has really taught me that sometimes you, you know, like for me, just giving up control and going with things is hard. It's so hard for me. Um, but I've learned that sometimes you just just got to let it, life do its thing. I'm just going to see what falls on my doorstep. And that's pretty amazing, really. And I want to relish in that for as long as I can. Well, I think that's an amazing place to be, Nikki, and we're absolutely honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me um, and letting me (laughs) ramble away as I want to do. Um, It was really great. Thank you. It was a really beautiful opportunity. I really appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.